Paul begins our verses today with these two words, finally, brothers. The Philippians are his brothers and they are his sisters. They are family. They are family because they are Christians and they have been like Paul adopted by God the Father. If you are a Christian, you also are a child of God. You have been adopted by God, your heavenly father. And so you right now also are Paul's brother. You are right now Paul's sister, which means that Paul's words addressed to his brothers are also for you. He also says, finally, it's funny Paul has said finally a couple times in his letter. He's like the long-winded pastor that says, in conclusion, five times. I try to only say it once. So that those of you that are looking for relief can see light at the end of the tunnel. The word finally, though, it signals by, from Paul that he's, he's wrapping up his letter. And as he begins to wrap up his letter, he has, in our verses today, two exhortations, eight qualifications, and one promise. There are two exhortations, eight qualifications, and one promise. Lord willing, we'll get to all of that this morning. And the exhortations that he gives, though only two, they are significant. Namely, because they're the final two exhortations in this letter. The list has been long. He's given many instructions. But these are the last two in that long list. He has told the Philippians, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ and be of the same mind and count others more significant than yourselves and look to the interests of others and work out your salvation with fear and trembling and do all things without grumbling and hold fast to the word of life. Rejoice in the Lord Imitate godly examples. Stand firm. And now he's down to two closing instructions. Two final exhortations. Think about these things and practice these things. Think about these things and practice these things. Things. Those are the two exhortations. And we'll see he has eight qualifications and one promise. That's where we're headed this morning. But before I preach this sermon, we should pray together. Will you please bow your heads with me? Father in heaven, we are people who need help from you in so many ways. And we need help this morning as we Read your word to understand it and to apply it so that it would 
affect our minds and our hearts and even our wills, we know that our minds will stay dark and our hearts will even stay cold without You. So, send Your Holy Spirit now. Fill us and give us light and heat, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So please open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, which if you're using one of the Bibles that we provide for you, you'll find that on page 637. Let me read the text in its entirety one more time before we begin. Philippians 4, 8 through 9. This is the Word of God. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. The first exhortation is at the end of verse 8, and it is, think about these things. The second exhortation, you'll see it in the middle of verse 9, and it's practice these things. Think, and then practice. Or think, and then put into practice. So this week, I thought about why Paul chose these two instructions for his concluding instructions. As I said before, his letter has many exhortations. I rattled off many of them. So why does he end with these? And of course, I can't be sure that he doesn't explicitly answer that question. But I know that at the end of the day, these two instructions are an accurate description of the life of a growing Christian. This is a description of the life of a growing Christian. Think and then put into practice. Comprehend and then commit. Believe and then behave. Right thinking and then right living. That is the life pattern of any and every Christian who wants to mature, who wants to grow in grace. This kind of thinking is essential for a growing Christian. This kind of practicing in your life is essential for a growing Christian. So let's begin with verse 8. This is his first exhortation. How should we think? Look at the end of the verse. Think about these things. That is what Paul says at the end of the verse. After he lists eight qualifications for your thoughts. In other words, if you are thinking about something not described here, it is not qualified to be thought about. 
If you're thinking about something that is not described among these eight qualifications of Christian thought, then it should not be thought about. It's not, think of it that way. It's not qualified for your thoughts. It's not qualified for your time. It's not qualified for your energy. The eight qualifications are, and we'll look at these individually, true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and worthy of praise. Paul's saying, think about what is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, or worthy of praise. Do not think about what is false, base, crude, sleazy, ugly, despicable, shameful, or deserving of condemnation. So the target of Paul's instruction is your mind. That's the target of this instruction. Your mind. It's an exhortation to think. Paul is saying Christians need to think. The word he uses means consider. It means ponder. It means dwell on. When it's used mathematically, it means calculate. Paul talks like this in other letters about the importance of our mind and the importance of our thoughts. Let me give you two examples. In Romans 8, 5, Paul said, For those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, they set their minds on on the things of the Spirit. They set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And the second one is in Colossians 3.2. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. It's like there are hooks in your mind. And you need to be deliberate about what you set those hooks in. The word he uses is not referring to passing thoughts. You have all kinds of passing thoughts. In that sense, you're always thinking. This is not referring to passing thoughts. This is referring to deep thinking. This is the thinking you do when you dwell on something. This is what plays on a loop in your mind. If your mind worked like a car, this would be driving up to a thought, putting it in park, and turning off the ignition. This is deep thinking. It requires slowing down. It requires stopping. It requires focus and attention and time. Now, Paul tells us what to think about when you think like that. He tells us what to think about 
when you think deeply. But first, I would say that many of you rarely think like that. Your first problem may not be that when you think like that, you don't think about these things. Your first problem may be that you rarely think like that. You rarely slow down. You rarely stop. You rarely fix your focus on something. Your attention on a thought. Give significant time to a thought. You rarely dwell on anything. Do you ever get to the end of a day? And you're stumbling toward your bed. And there are so many things that you got done in that day. But you wonder if you thought about anything of eternal significance the entire day. I do. I was thinking this week about how packed my schedule is and how it's pretty much and I think this is the case for many of you just going from one thing to the other and at the end of the day you still don't get it all done I was remembering when I was younger my schedule looked so much different my to-do list looked so much different like sleep (laughs) 12 hours eat Yeah, I'm writing these things on my list of tasks to do in the day. Sleep again. And then I had this thing on my schedule. I didn't write it down, but it was mentally I had this thing on my schedule and I always made sure that I had plenty of it. You know, it was two words. You know what it was. I was thinking about this. It was free time. Free time. And I don't have free time anymore. Not a lot of free time. It feels like Every second is incarcerated. Every second is spoken for. Every, every moment is spoken for. It's not to say it's a bad thing if those things are good things, but it doesn't lend itself to slowing down and stopping and actually thinking deeply about something. Thinking deeply about the things that God says a Christian needs to think deeply about. I know many of you are the same. You lived in in the middle of very packed schedules. Most of us have very high demands on us. Our pace of life is hectic. It's practically an American tradition. Not all of you, but many of you. Many of you can't even get things done that you set out to get done in a given day, let alone slow down to actually think the way Paul is calling us to think. And then on top of that, most of us today find it difficult to dwell on any one thing because we constantly have many things battling for our thoughts. We're thinking about five things at once. We're thinking about ten things at once. Most of us are in an unparalleled, unprecedented way. We are bombarded by information all day long. 
Information comes to us from people, from television, from radio, from podcasts, from our phones. It's a sort of information overload and it's difficult to slow down and actually process anything. It's difficult to slow down and think about anything. So let me ask you. How much time do you actually spend thinking deeply? Some of you consider this. You may intentionally avoid thinking deeply. Because you're afraid of what you'd have to think about. How much time do you spend thinking about your life, about your sin, about your God? How much time do you spend considering the sermon that you heard the week before? Or instead of thinking about that sermon, do you just listen to another sermon? And then instead of thinking about that sermon, you just listen to another sermon. And then you read the news. And then you listen to this. And then you have this podcast. We listen, we receive, we hear. But do we slow down? And do we stop? And do we deeply Think about our life, about our God, about his glory. How much time do you spend considering a verse that you read in the morning? Here's what I'm getting at. For some of us, including myself, the application here starts with this little word, think. Before we even get to what it is we're to think deeply about, many of us just need to start thinking deeply. What this actually is, is Christian meditation. That's what Paul's talking about. It's what God's talking about. It's what your Bible's talking about. It's Christian meditation. Christians thinking deeply. Now remember, Christian meditation is very different from worldly meditation. Most worldly meditation and including, unfortunately, some professed Christian meditation is emptying your mind. Right? It's, it's finding a place and finding quiet. Pay attention to the way that you're breathing. Your posture. And you're trying to actually empty your mind of thoughts. That's not Christian meditation. Christian meditation is filling your mind with the right thoughts. Christian meditation is also not emptying your minds so that you can hear from God. That's promoted so much in so many churches. Seminars on how to hear the voice of God and be still and empty your mind so that God can speak to you, which totally ignores the fact that God has already spoken to you through his word. And so we're to fill our minds with God's word because we want God to speak to us. And he speaks to us, not by us emptying our minds so that thoughts that we perceive as from him can fill our minds but rather we fill our minds with what has already been declared as the spoken word of God. So it's Christian meditation. And that is what Paul is calling us to. 
The Puritans were probably the best at this. They were deeply committed to this. From the late 15th to at least the late 16th century, I'm sorry, the late 16th to the late 17th century, at least, the Puritans were deeply committed to this. It was absolutely essential to Puritan Christians that they devote significant time to thinking deeply about God. George Swinnick in the 1600s, he defined Christian meditation as this. A serious applying the mind to some sacred subject. Until the affections be warmed and quickened and the resolution heightened and strengthened thereby against what is evil and for that which is good. That's a lost discipline. Do you hear what he is saying? This is how Christians must think. They seriously apply their mind to something good and they sit there. And they think. Seriously applying their mind to this verse. This thought, this this word from God in the Bible, and they sit and they dwell And they think and they think and they think until their affections are warmed and their will is quickened. They don't just do. They don't just move on to the next thing. They don't just scramble for a book. They don't just scramble for a quick remedy. There's a problem. If there's not a problem, they're stopping They're taking the truth of God's word and they're thinking deeply and deeply and deeply until their heart is warmed. Until their eyes are filled with tears. Until they're committed to do the right thing. Thinking deeply. Now, here's Paul's full instruction. He says, think about these things. Christians need to think deeply. And when you think deeply, think about these things. These are eight qualifications for your thoughts. Here's the list. Eight things. And we'll run through it pretty quickly. Number one. Whatever is true. This word means reliable and faithful. Think about things that accord with reality, not fantasy. This word is in John 17, 17, in Jesus' high priestly prayer. When he says, sanctify them, he's praying for all of you. Sanctify them in the truth. That's the word. Your word is, here's the word again, truth. This is what Paul says to think about. Think about things that accord with God's word Which is the source of ultimate truth. Don't think about lies. Don't think about things that are false. Think about whatever is true. That means that Christians need to know the truth of God's word. Number two. Whatever is honorable. This word means serious. Respectable. 
dignified. Think about things that are worthy of honor. It's found in Titus 2 too. Older men are to be sober minded, dignified. There's the word. Self controlled, sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. Don't think about things that are base or casual or trivial, but what is honorable. Number three, whatever is just. This word means righteous and innocent in the eyes of God. This word is used to describe balanced scales. So you have a standardized weight on one side and you, you add something to the other side, enough of it until the scales are just. Until they are balanced. Genesis 3.11 Now it is evident that no one is, here's the word, justified before God by the law for the righteous shall live by faith. So we're thinking about things that are just, that are right in God's eyes. That's often different from thinking about what is right in others' eyes. Sometimes it's different from thinking about what is right in your own eyes. My eyes and your eyes and my view and your view and my perspective and your perspective are not the standard. God is the standard. So Christians are committed to thinking about what is right in God's eyes. Number four. Whatever is pure. This word means holy and free from any defect or defilement. Think pure thoughts, Paul is saying. He uses this word in his first letter to Timothy, chapter 4, verse 12, where he tells him, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love in faith and in purity. Whatever is pure. Don't think about the impure. Don't think about the crude. Don't think about the raunchy. There should be, Paul is saying, rigorous censorship in the Christian mind. It's not going to be anywhere else. But it should be in the Christian mind. So that's half of them. There's eight. That's four. Let's pause. You may already be thinking about this. But consider what you let into your mind. Consider what you let into your mind. Through your eyes. Through your ears. It's not insignificant. What do you read? What do you listen to? What do you watch? What do you entertain yourself with? What do you end up thinking about? Dwelling on. Don Carson says, if you think holy thoughts, you will be holy. If you think garbage thoughts, you will be garbage. It's a very basic principle. 
But we have a tendency to underestimate it. I can watch this. I can listen to this. I don't want to be a prude. I don't want to become irrelevant. I can find the good. I can hear. Maybe you can. Maybe you can't. Maybe what you're letting in is having much more of an effect on you than you realize. Sometimes you can't keep things from getting in your head. Sometimes you don't seek out impure thoughts or unhelpful thoughts or unholy thoughts. Sometimes it's just there. It just confronts you. Martin Luther had a great quote about that. He said, you cannot keep the birds from circling over your head, but you can keep them from making a nest in your hair. And that's the difference. So it's not just about what you don't let into your mind, but if, think of it this way, but if it gets in, what do you do with it then? Do you fight it? Do you... Do you rise up against it? Do you just give in to it? Do you, do you entertain it? Or do you go to battle? Do you go to war? Do you, do you replace that thought that's not good with something better that honors God? Number five, whatever is lovely. This word means pleasing, acceptable, beautiful, worthy of embrace. We should think about what is Beautiful and attractive according to God. Things like John fifteen thirteen. Greater love has no one than this. That someone lay down his life for his friends. That would be something lovely to think about. The love of Christ in laying down his life for his friends. Which includes you. If you're a Christian here this morning. It means... Don't think about what is beauty in the world's eyes, which is actually ugly and disgusting. Number six, whatever is commendable. This word means worthy, kind, and unlikely to give offense. It's in 1 Peter 2.12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable or commendable so that when They speak against you as evil doers. They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Number seven, if there is any excellence, whatever is excellent, this word means morally good, gracious and virtuous. Think about Paul is saying excellent things. First Peter two, nine. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The excellencies of God. Think about excellent things. Don't think about wickedness. Don't think about what is shameful. Number eight, if there is anything worthy of praise, it's his final qualification for your thoughts. If anything is worthy of praise, whatever is worthy of praise. This word has to do with acknowledging what deserves commendation. Think about what is praiseworthy. 
It's at the end of this text. Philippians 1, 9 through 11. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory, here it is, and praise of God. Think about what is worthy of praise. Think about what praises God, what blesses God. Don't think about things that deserve the opposite of praise, condemnation. You get the point, I think, in this list that Paul gives us. If you're a Christian, you know what qualifies and what doesn't. Unless your conscience has been seared This is simply a reminder from God in his word of of what you should have your mind set on. Paul is exhorting us as he begins to wrap up this letter. He is saying, make sure, Christian, and this is such a good word for us. Make sure that you are disciplined with your mind. I've met and. And you probably know. So many Christians who have been disciplined in so many external ways and totally undisciplined with their mind. It's a veneer. It looks good on the outside. It's like a whitewash tomb. Everything presents well. Everything looks good. I've been surprised more than once by someone who appeared to me to have it all together because they were so disciplined in their life. And then all of a sudden, they go off the rails. They leave this church. They leave the church. They walk away from Christ. What are you finding out? You're finding out that What you thought was true from the outside was not true on the inside. You're finding out that their heart did not belong to Christ. You're finding out that their thoughts did not belong to Christ. That they were so disciplined in putting on a show. They were so disciplined in looking good before others. And even thinking maybe looking good before God. And there was no focus and no attention on being disciplined with their mind. It's not about how you present to other people. It's not about how you externally present to God. It is about actually having a heart and a mind that is after Christ. And so that means for us as Christians that we have to pay attention to what Paul is saying and make sure that we are being disciplined with our minds. So let me ask you. Again, do you think deeply about anything. When do you think deeply about anything? Some of you may be able to think deeply while you do a hundred other things. But for most of you, for the vast majority of you, that's not the case. 
You need to slow down. You need to stop. And you need to think deeply about your God and his truth. Maybe that's your devotional time. Maybe that means getting more disciplined about time that you carve out of your schedule to just read and think about God's word. But how will you make certain that you slow down enough to think deeply about these things? Do you need to cut something out of your schedule? Do you need to stop doing something maybe that's really important, but it's not nearly as important as this? Do you need to stop saying yes to everybody? Do you need to learn how to say no? Do you need to be willing to let others down so that you can do what you know God wants you to do? Think about these things, Paul says. If you do. If you do think deeply. What do you think deeply about? Is it this? Is it whatever is true? Is it what is honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellence, worthy of praise? Or is it something else? Is it thinking way too much about the Super Bowl after your team lost? That was personal. I remember catching myself, I think it was the next morning, a few weeks ago, the, the New England Patriots, it's our, it's our family's favorite football team. We, every other sport, we all disagree on favorite teams, and so we, we, it's war in our home, and we're rooting against one another, but football's the one sport where we all like the Patriots, and we come together, and then they can't even win the Super Bowl. And so the next morning, I, I think it was the next morning, I can remember I'm, I'm there, you know, in my office and I've got my Bible open and I'm just going through my routine of thinking deeply about God and, and his word. And, and while I'm doing that, my laptop is open in front of me and it's at NFL.com. And I'm, and I'm doing, I'm doing both, I think. I think I'm doing both and I'm reading God's word and, oh, that's good. And then I'm, you know, reading this, this article and I'm watching this video of Deion Sanders and I'm, and, and it, it was like about lunchtime. I didn't spend the whole morning doing that. I moved on, but it was about lunchtime. And I, I realized I'm thinking so much about a stupid football game. I'm not being disciplined with my mind. I'm thinking deeply, but I'm allowing myself to think way too much about something that's not important. I mean, I love football. There's nothing wrong with thinking about football. Don't hear me say that, but I'm just thinking way too much about it. I, I need to think deeply about what is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable, excellent and worthy of praise. I, I want to be like these Puritans who are such a good example of just fixing their mind on some sacred subject, any sacred subject, just a verse 
and thinking, 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 and what does that mean? And what does that say about God? And what does that say about this world? And what does that say about me? And what are the implications for my life? And what, what do I need to do in response to this? And how does this apply? To think about these things. Let's move on to Paul's second exhortation. We'll only spend a few minutes on these last two. The instruction and then the promise. This is the final exhortation in Paul's letter. It's in the middle of verse 9 where he says, practice these things. So let's read the verse. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. So Paul exhorts us to think. And now he exhorts us to practice. And this is how you grow in grace. This is how you grow as a Christian. This is a good description of the life of a growing Christian. You think and then you do. Don't mix those up. You think and then you do. You think and then you practice. This word practice probably means what you think it would mean. It means to do something over and over and over and over. Practice what? According to Paul, what does he say? Practice, he's writing to the Philippians, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. The Philippians had learned things from Paul. The Philippians had received things from Paul. The Philippians had seen Paul's life. They heard how he spoke. They, they watched how he lived. They need to think about that. Not only think about it, they need to apply it. They need to, he said in chapter 3, verse 17, and here he's saying it again, they need to imitate him. They need to follow his example. They need to put it into practice. It's not enough just to think. If you just sit there all day and think and you never actually do anything, that's not good. If it doesn't actually have application in your life and implications that are worked out, if it doesn't change you, if it doesn't increase your joy and increase your faithfulness and make you a better mom and make you better, you're totally missing it. You think we must think deeply, but then we must practice. We must put it into practice. What have you learned? What have you learned this last week? What are you learning right now? What are you receiving this morning? Put it into practice. Think about it. Put it into practice. What have you heard and seen in other Christians like the Philippians had heard and seen in Paul? Paul practiced what he preached. He was a living example. You're a living example to your kids. You're a living example to your friends, to your neighbors, to fellow church members. Think about those Christians that you respect and that you admire that you look up to. But don't just think about them. Put into practice what you have heard and seen in them. 
Listen, if you don't practice, there's not going to be growth. If you don't practice these things, there's not going to be growth. If a basketball team wants to get better at basketball, they need to what? They need to practice. My sons are on a basketball team. Can you imagine if a coach at the beginning of the season gave them all a book on basketball? And just said, you know what? In lieu of practicing, I just want you to think about this book. Now, they may think about it and they may gain a lot of knowledge about basketball, but until they actually get out on the court and start interacting with other players and dealing with everything that they have studied, they're not going to become better basketball players. They're going to be terrible basketball players. You're going to be a terrible Christian if you don't put into practice the things that you are learning from God's Word. So we can't merely think about these things. We must put it into practice. Okay, in conclusion, and I'll only say that once. I said at the beginning that we would see two exhortations, eight qualifications, and one promise. So we got to end with the promise. Here it is. It's similar to the promise in chapter, if you're looking at your Bible, chapter 4, verse 7. We'll see a slight difference. But this one's even better. If we can say that. The Bible's full of promises and they're all, they're all great. Some are better than others, I think. So let's read both of our verses together. I'm going to read verse 8 and 9, the whole of our text today. So that you hear the promise at the very end. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the peace, I'm sorry, the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. Look up just a couple verses, verse 7. It's where he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, prayer and petition, present your request to God. And then what was the promise there? And the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds. The peace of God will be with you. See the difference? That's good. The peace of God will be with you. Verse 9, the God of peace will be with you. It's getting better. The peace of God will be with you. But here it is, the God of peace will be with you. As you think about these things. As you put these good things into practice. As you think about the Word of God, as you dwell on the Word of God, as you apply the Word of God, as you obey the Word of God, here is the promise. The God of peace will be with you. God will be before you. God will be with you. Whatever is true, 
honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. Think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things. And then the promise. And the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for these words that you've given us today. Help us to think deeply about them in the day and days to come. Help us to think deeply about the meaning of your word. The implications of your word, the application of your word. What what these words tell us about you and your character. What these words tell us about the call you've given us. What these words tell us about the tendency in our own hearts and in our own minds. Teach us, God, and then give us the grace to practice these things. To obey you. To honor you, to do all things for your glory, to love you, to love others. Do this work, we pray, in us. In Jesus' name, amen.